I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8 of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. And in this week's episode, we are speaking with a former Division I college tennis player who sadly went through injury her freshman year that wound up derailing her college tennis career, but there is light at the end of the tunnel and you'll just have to listen to the whole episode to hear her story. But I wanted to share Bella Heidenreich's story with y'all because it's not an uncommon one. A lot of kids wind up getting injured in college and there are procedures in place to protect the athletes, but there are also procedures in place to protect the college coach, the athletic trainer, the athletic director, and it's really important that our kids go into college athletics with their eyes open as to what could happen and how they should manage it if God forbid it does happen. I want to say there there are a few four-letter words in this episode. So if you have young children, maybe you want to think twice about having them listen to this one, but it's nothing too offensive. So I, I hope you enjoy hearing Bella's story. I think it's, again, very enlightening and a very important story for parents and for college-bound tennis players to listen to. So that said, I want to remind you all about our Patreon page. If you haven't looked at that already, it's patreon.com slash parenting aces. And it is a page where you can sign up to support our site financially, support our podcast financially. And in exchange, we have different rewards for you based on the level of your commitment. So please check that out. There will be a link in the show notes to our Patreon page, as well as our membership link. And if you haven't joined us on parentingaces.com, please have a look at that as well. That's enough of me. I know y'all would much rather hear from this week's guest, Bella Heidenreich. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the Parenting Aces podcast. Hi, Bella Heidenreich. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited we finally made this happen. It's been kind of a work in progress over several months, and uh, I'm just thrilled to finally get you on the show. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to chat and talk about crazy life of tennis. (laughs) Great. So just to give my listeners a little bit of background, can you tell us where you grew up, how you got started playing tennis, and kind of walk us through the abridged version of your junior development pathway? So I grew up in California. I started playing tennis when I was about four to five years old. Uh, My mom was taking lessons for herself, and I was hanging around and just jumped on court and started playing and fell in love automatically. It's been the only sport I've ever played. Uh, I tooled around with gymnastics and other things like that when I was really young. And then when I played tennis, I was like, this is it. This is the one for me. So I played from about four until I got injured in college. Um, I trained at a country club when I was younger. And then I moved 
to uh, train with Phil Cello in Napa, where I grew up. And then I, my longest coach I was with was Steve DeVries in California. Um, so I played, started playing nationals at about age nine, playing 12 and under, and then just kept playing nationals until I got recruited. Um, and yeah. There's, did you, did you back. always know you wanted to play college tennis? Was that always a goal of yours? Yes. So around age nine or 10, I started talking. Um, that's when I transferred coaches to Steve and we started talking about, you have to choose a path at this age. If you want to dedicate your future to trying to go pro, or if you want to play college tennis. And I struggled with that for a long time. I talked to my, my parents about it. My dad really wanted me to go pro. Um, and I realized, I wanted more of um, a solid future, more of an uh, an education. I wanted to have a college education. And I knew that, you know, the chances of if you get injured and your only thing is pro tennis, you're kind of, you're behind. So Mm -hmm. around 10 years old, I was like, all right, I want to play college tennis. I want to play D1, absolutely D1. And I actually told my parents, I wrote out a contract and we both, we all signed it saying that I will absolutely get a full scholarship to a D one school. Um, so they didn't, I asked them to not save any college money for me. They saved it all for my brother because I was that determined to get a full ride to a D one school. Uh, Is your brother older or younger? He's younger. He's two years younger than me. Okay. Well, that's, that's a pretty mature commitment to make at, that young age. It, it was, uh, it was something I knew, you know, there are certain things in life when you, you know, this is, this is what I want and I will make this happen. Uh, and that, I knew that at 10, 10 years old and just, I made my life the way that I needed to, to make that happen. Training tournaments, uh, everything diet. I made it all happen. I did, I did sacrifice a lot of things, but it was worth it. Uh, did you, to accomplish did you, that goal. Did you go to regular school or did you do online or virtual school? So my schooling was very on and off. So throughout elementary school, I basically did one year online, one year back in school, one year online, one year back in school. And then when I got to high school, um, I did freshman, sophomore year um, in regular high school, or actually freshman, sophomore, junior year in regular high school. And then senior year, I took online because of uh, recruiting process. And then once I signed, I wanted to dedicate all that free time I had to getting in shape, preparing my mind for college tennis, preparing for college. So I was definitely all over the place with regular schooling um, and online school. And did you feel like when you got to college that you were prepared academically and socially for college life? Absolutely. I felt uh, what my parents had done with online school and what I had done, you know, going kind of on and off with the two that I was, I assimilated into college life very well, um, socially and um, academically. Yeah, I felt very comfortable. So let's talk about your recruiting process a little bit. You're 22, 23. How old are you now? Yeah, I'm 22. I'll be 23 in about two months. Awesome. Okay. So I knew you were same recruiting class as my son. Your mom and I actually 
met online because of parenting aces and and spoke on the phone a lot during <laughs> I don't know if you knew this yeah. but during your high school years and then your parents moved actually to Georgia and your mom and I got the chance to meet live and in person, which was amazing. She's so awesome. Um, So I've been hearing about you for a long time, even though you and I just recently connected with the podcast and um, you know, we haven't met in person yet, but I'm holding out hope that that'll happen before my move. Um, So so let's go through what your recruiting process looked like. You were you made a very bold statement at a young age that it's D1 for me. And so how did you come up with a list of schools to look at and how did you approach those schools when you were ready? So essentially my first step, I think I started looking into schools um just doing like research online and looking at college books around 13 or 14. So, um, like kind of going into high school, going into high school and freshman year. And what were you looking for? Did you have ideas about, you know, geography, course of study, all that? Was actually my first thing was like I, I want to go to the East Coast. I had grown up on the West Coast, and I said I want to experience another part of the country. I want to go where there are seasons. I want to go where I can have some snow and some rain. So the first thing I thought about was the environment that I wanted to be in. Um, And the second thing I thought about was what I wanted to study and what um, fields interested me. And then when I was able to narrow, like make a list of those things, I was able to narrow down a couple of schools on the East Coast. And then the next thing was... um, I looked up the coaches at the schools. I, I actually, at like 15, I sent out a lot of emails and basically just asked coaches if they had any time to talk um, just about their program and what their, their values were, um, just so I could get an idea, see if I clicked with them. I did have a lot of um, random calls to a lot of schools when I was young, around like 15. It was very scary. Uh, I would sit there alone in my room with my notepad and have questions to ask. And I was super nervous, but it really helped me narrow down what kind of um, team I wanted to be a part of, what kind of coach I wanted to have, what kind of environment I wanted to have. Um, so that was a big, big thing for me to narrow down um, right. the schools I wanted to go to based on that. Yeah. And I mean, when you were going through this, UTR was still pretty new and their website wasn't as sophisticated as it is now in terms of finding schools where your UTR fits in their top six, et cetera, et cetera. So can I ask, you know, where were you in terms of tennisrecruiting.net in your recruiting class? What kind of ranking did you have that gave you the confidence to know that you were going to find a D1 program that was the right fit for you? So around, let's see, around like eight or nine years old. Um, and up until I got injured in high school, I was uh, top five uh, in NorCal. And then I was, I'm not sure if the ratings are the same, but I was a uh, blue chip. Is that the same as it is now? Yeah. With TRN. Blue yeah. Chip? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I was blue chip. Um, this was all before I had a big injury in high school. So up from 13 to 15, when I was kind of, doing this research, making these cold calls, I felt if I had sent that information in this email, 
um, and then actually just called the coach and left a message saying a few little facts about myself that that background and those facts would interest them. And then I, I knew that, you know, my personality and if they were to talk to me, that they might also be a little bit more interested. And I also had um, a really good grades. So I knew that that I did not worry about the fact that my academics wouldn't mesh well with a certain college because I knew that I would be able to make that work, whether that was extremely, an extremely academic college or more of a medium level. Gotcha. So, and and for listeners that aren't familiar with tennisrecruiting.net, a blue chip recruit is someone that's in the top 25 in their recruiting class for a particular year. So that the fact that you were a blue chip, Bella, means, you know, you, you were at the top of the class, you're an excellent tennis player and a very desirable recruit to college coaches. Okay, right. It's yeah, it's hard to so look you, back. You can just say yes. Like, that is remember. all true. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. That's true. <laughs> and so academically, did you have any ideas what you wanted to study? You know, as you were starting out, did that change over the course of your recruiting? So I thought I wanted to go into physical therapy. So I was looking at majors, schools that had um, like kinesiology and programs like that because um, I had always been interested in the human body and um, fitness and muscles and all of that. That was my whole life, you know, training in tennis. Um, so that kind of narrowed down a few schools, but I also made sure they had a wider variety of other things like communications and business and all of that in case I got to college and was like, okay, I don't like this Mm -hmm. field at all. I need to switch. Yeah. Okay. And so, so you started your process, you started leaving phone messages, sending emails. And at what point did you narrow down your search to let's say, you know, a top five number where you were ready to start taking official visits? So that was about junior year. And the the tricky thing in my recruiting process was my sophomore year of high school, I suffered a really bad back injury that actually put me out for about eight months. Um, I could barely train. I The doctors didn't know what was going on. There was really no cure. It was a very stressful time for me. And my ranking obviously started to drop right at the peak before, you know, junior year hits. And that was really Mm -hmm. stressful. Um, Was it a tennis induced injury or it happened somewhere else? It was, it was, I was, I I remember this moment I was playing at a tournament in uh, Santa Cruz and I was coming out of a backhand and I felt something pop at my lower spine area. Yikes. And I, I like fell to the ground. And ever since then it was like, every time I tried to play, it would seize up super bad. It it was the most complicated injury. And eventually what healed it was I took um, a really strong anti-inflammatory supplement um, that had to be prescribed by a back doctor. And it knocked out, I guess, some sort of severe inflammation that I was having. Um, Cause I, they said that I popped off my growth plate. That's what the, the pop was, but um, it, it, didn't really heal properly. So it was very inflamed. So that knocked out the inflammation, but at the same time, it tore up my stomach lining. Mm. So I actually had to go to the ER for about uh, 15 hours 
while they figured out what was going on with me. Um, but after that craziness, I was able to start training again and getting back on court, but I had lost a lot of my confidence in myself. And that mm-hmm. was about junior year going into junior year. And it was very difficult to have the confidence, you know, still talking to coaches and saying, Hey, you know, I had this injury and that's kind of why I'm not performing so well at the first couple tournaments that I'm was getting back into, but I do have this background and it, it was difficult because some coaches were like, well, you're not where you need to be right now. And some understood, okay, she got injured, but she did have, you know, seven, eight years under her belt before this. Right. So. And prior to your injury, had you verbally committed anywhere or you were still, it was no. still too early? Mm-mm. It was still okay. too early. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So you come back from this injury. How scary. Um, and obviously there were still coaches that were interested in you since you did wind up yeah. playing college tennis. So can you tell us how you wound up narrowing it down to your final couple of choices? So I narrowed it down by how the, I still made those calls after I uh, recovered from my injury and it, they were still in the area that I wanted, the major that I wanted. Um, and it basically I narrowed it down to about uh, three to five by how the, um, the talk went, how I clicked with the coach. Um, and Whenever I was on the East Coast visiting family, if the school was about an hour or two nearby, we would just kind of drive around and check it out. And I would say, okay, I can see myself here or I can't see myself here. So it really went by gut feeling of how I clicked with the coach over the phone. And then if I had the chance to see the school and just drive around campus, you know, sometimes you can go on campus and be like, I do not, I don't fit here. This is not Mm -hmm. my environment. Right. And I think that's a really huge thing for your happiness as a college student, especially as a college athlete, is can you see yourself in this environment? Because right. that is, you're going to be your home for the next four years, if not longer. Well, and given the fact that you had already gone through this lengthy injury and recovery process, did it enter your mind that as you're looking at these schools, I need to make sure this is a place I'm going to be happy if I'm not playing tennis? Absolutely. That was a huge thing. It it sort of gave me a lot of perspective on the situation. I was like, if I get injured in college, am I going to like these people? Am I going to like my classes? Am I going to like the trees and the air and everything? If I have to sit out for a couple months, am Mm -hmm. I going to be happy here? Uh, That was definitely a big thing for me. Yeah, that, that changed my perspective a lot. And so when it was time to take your official visits, how many did you end up taking? Oh, let's see. I took a few unofficial visits um, right out of my injury. And then official visits, I took about, I want to say, three to four. Okay. Yeah. And, and, then, and what happened on those official visits that helped you narrow your choice? Uh, so one of the biggest things was, like I said, again, the coach would walk you around campus, kind of show you where everything was, the facilities, talk to you about how the days were run, what your day would look like as a student athlete. And it was more of a, a gut feeling. Like, do I, do I like 
you know, the walk from the locker room to the courts? Do I like how the students seem on campus? Do I like the friendliness? Do I like um, how the coach talks about the girls in the team? It was very, um, do I feel at home here? Do I feel safe here? Do I feel like this would be um, a happy environment? And that helped me narrow down to, well, I actually, I, I knew it after my last official visit. I was like, yep, this, this, is, this is the right environment for me. And it's good that I went on a few of them because I was able to compare. Right. You know, you go on one and you're like, oh, this is great, you know, but you haven't seen any others. So you don't know in comparison. So it's important to see a few of them so you know what you're actually looking for and how to compare them. Right. So you wound up committing to James Madison University. Mm-hmm. Can can you tell us a little bit about the school and what it was that attracted you other than obviously you like the coach and you like the way he spoke yeah. about the other girls. So, yes. Yeah, so that's actually a funny story. So um, they were on my list because of the environment, the pictures online, um, the main, where is it located? Place. Sorry. It's in Harrisonburg, Harrisonburg, Virginia. Got it. So it's actually like a little town in the middle of nowhere. Um, but it is, it is an amazing campus. It's very welcoming, super friendly. It's like you go into this world this other little world and it's awesome. But, um, I was playing at, uh, I think it was clay courts in Memphis, um, the summer before my senior year. And the first round of that tournament, I mean, I had trained super hard first round I was on front court and in the second set, I went into a full body cramp um, and seized up on court in front of everybody and <laughs> had to retire uh, out of singles. And I, it was devastating. It was absolutely devastating because that's where all the coaches were. Everyone was watching. I was ready to kick ass. And then I, my body just full body cramp, couldn't mm. walk for I I couldn't move. My dad had to carry me from the car to the hotel room. It was super bad. Um, But luckily there were two days in between the first singles match and the first doubles match. So I decided I was like, okay, I'm going to, my body was healthy enough for me to play uh, doubles. So the head coach at JMU saw me cramp up in singles and decided to come watch me, um, my doubles match and he approached my dad during my doubles match and was like hey you know this is who I am uh tell me is like is this your daughter because they just started chatting and I met him after the match and we chatted about JMU and what I was looking for in his school and um we scheduled a call for after the tournament and that's how that school got on my um official visit list um, had you so, seen the campus prior to that? Just through pictures, okay. not, not, not in person. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so you went to visit and what was it so, about, that happened on your visit that was like, yep. So it's funny. One of the biggest things was everybody on campus was so happy. The regular students, the student athletes, the, the big thing at JMU is everyone holds the door open for each other. That's like, like the rule. Um, everyone holds the door open. Everyone is friendly and it's, it's genuine. Um, and I liked the, that there were 
some hills. I liked the views. Um, the I liked the way that you know things were run um, during practice. I liked the 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 energy. Um, I saw a couple classrooms. I liked those. It was just kind of the whole package. Mostly, it was that everyone, not just the student athletes, but everyone on campus, seemed happy. And I knew, you know. I will be spending a lot of time in class. It's not just on court with the girls. So I'm going to have to like the, the regular students and the vibe of the school as much as I like the vibe on court. Right. Right. So, and JMU, my, yeah, I, I went there, you know, you, you go out with the girls one of the nights, you kind of see like what they do on their own time, like riding in the cars and going to, you know, a, a pregame or something like that. Just kind of seeing what college life is like. Um, it was really fun. And I felt like, okay, I, I think I could have a, I, think I can make this my home. Um, that was the last official I took. Um, and, I had another one planned after that, but I knew, mm-hmm. oh, you're fine. Um, I had another one planned after that, but I knew, you know, a week after being home, after the official visit, I was like, no, this is, this is where I want to go. And so. did the coach offer you a spot while you were there on your official or did that come later? Yes. He did. Yes. At the end of the official, he did offer. And I said, um, I have another official coming up. Uh, I asked if I could have about two weeks to decide if that was okay. Um, and he was very, um, patient and flexible. He wasn't pushy or rude. He was like, that's completely fine. Uh, let us know. And it was, I would be his first recruiting class. They were new coaches that year. So any girls that came in like right that year, the next year would be his first recruiting class. So I would have been his first recruit for his first year there, if that makes sense. Yeah. So um, he was, he was new at the school. He was new at the school. Yes. So the girls in the team, they, they had only had well, a month with him mm-hmm. um, before. And then I got recruited and came the next year. Yeah. So I was his first recruiting class. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's let's fast forward a little bit. You you got a full ride there. Um, mm-hmm. you, you've been very public about that, so I'm not saying anything I shouldn't say. Um, <laughs> you you got a full ride to James Madison. You you went and you were part of the team. And what happened? So I went. Um, I graduated high school in 2015. Went in the fall of 2015, and. A month into school, uh, I was playing or we were doing uh, suicides on court and I injured my foot. I felt something pop in my foot and automatically I tried, you know, still doing the suicides, and it was killing me. Um, And that's when I, you know, got my serious big injury was a month into my freshman year. Um, And it was very complicated it was not handled very well by the coaches or the trainers um and it was very confusing and stressful for me as a freshman I did not know what to do how hard I should push myself who I should listen to it was it was very confusing so walk Um, us through the steps you have you know you hear this pop in your foot you're in pain do was the first thing to go to the coach or to the trainer? How did you, what are the steps you went through? So I felt the pop in my foot. Um, I finished the suicide 
And then my teammate went in the next suicide. Then I went in the back of the line. There was about three girls in my group. And I told one of my teammates, okay, my foot is killing me. And she was like, oh, just go tell our trainer. Because usually the trainer, she was would walk around on court, bring water, fill up the coolers, that type of thing. And I went to go tell her and she took my shoe off, uh, looked at my foot. It wasn't swollen or anything. And she said, okay, keep trying to practice. Just don't, don't run too much. This is when we started hitting. Um, I could barely put any weight on it. It, I, I tried really hard cause I was still a freshman and I was like, I'm not going to quit right now and show that, you know, my foot's hurting. Um, and they, it wasn't really, I kind of finished out practice with minimal movement and the trainer and the coaches were like, we'll just take a look at it after practice. So that's what we did. I went back to the training room two hours later, they took a look at it. I went to the athletic doctor. Um, he took a look at it and there, they said, we don't, we, we're not sure what happened. Clearly you're in pain, but we're not sure what's going on here. And that's when the craziness started of, you know, MRIs and uh, multiple foot specialists coming in over the course of, you know, three months. But over the course of those three months, they put me in a boot to walk around campus, but they taped my foot up super, super tight so that I could practice. And the coaches were saying, you know, you're, you are our first recruit. You're one of the best players on the team. We need you good. We need you seasoned uh, for when spring season comes around. And I was mm-hmm. like, I understand that. Um, I, I can't walk, but <laughs> what I, I felt so much pressure. I was like, I, I have, I, what can I, I have to play. So I, I mean, during off season, during the fall, I just did, did my best dealing with the pain and then nothing got better. They didn't really have an answer for exactly what it was. So they gave me a cortisone injection through the the closest hospital um, over winter break in December. So right after finals, I got an injection and I uh, I, I put the boot back on and a couple weeks into winter break, when I got back to school in January, I noticed the discoloration on the top of my foot. And that my foot was extremely sensitive to temperature, to a sock touching it, to to anything. It was just like my foot looked weird. It was purple. Um, Some of the skin had been indented where the injection was. And I went to the athletic doctor right away when I got back to campus uh, in the spring. And he said, it looks like they botched your um, cortisone injection. looks like they took the needle out too soon. And some of the cortisone leaked out. So you have permanent nerve damage. And that's why your foot, the top of it is bruised and discolored and why some of your skin is indented. And oh I was gosh. like, are you, are you effing kidding me? Like, I, I have an injury injury still. You don't know what it is. And now I have permanent nerve damage. How, how the hell am I supposed to play tennis? I need my left foot to play right. tennis. Like, I need... <laughs> Um, meanwhile, let me just interrupt you. Meanwhile, what were your parents like? How, how, what, what was their involvement through this process? It's funny because I I was obviously talking to my mom a lot during fall about it. 
And your mom was talking to me, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And she was saying, why, well, why aren't they just taking you out? What's going on? And I said, I don't know. They need me to play. But when she would try and get in touch with the coaches, you know, kind of say like, what's going on with my daughter? Like she seems to have a very serious injury and she's not resting. Um, They would give the basic, oh, our trainer's taking care of it. You know, we're not sure what it is yet. Just basic answers. Um, Mm -hmm. And one thing I started to notice is after, you know, about six months is that, you know, my, the person who's supposed to be standing up for me and my physical health is the trainer because the coaches don't really know what's going Mm -hmm. on with injuries. You know, they want you to play, but the trainer is supposed to back you up. Um, and the, the issue with what happened to me was the athletic doctor, amazing, loved him, stood up for me, amazing guy. But the trainer was brand new and she was super, super scared of our coaches. She did not want to let them down. She felt she, she, she felt she could not be honest with them. So she kind of forced me to play and she kind of lied to them about the amount of pain I was in. And about how severe the injury was. And when, you know, a year and a half later, when my coaches actually talked face to face with the athletic doctor, they were like, oh, shit, this is serious. This is, you know, this might have been more serious than the trainer was making it out to be. And it was an extremely frustrating process because I didn't want to sound like a crybaby. I didn't want to sound like, you know, my injury is not as bad or my injury isn't that bad that I'm making a big deal out of it. That's Mm -hmm. what they had assumed I was doing because the trainer did not back me up. She wanted to please the coaches by having me play at my own expense. Uh, And, and you as a freshman, I'm guessing uh, maybe felt like, you know, you're between a rock and a hard place. Like you want to please the coach. You're there on a full scholarship. You know, you want to fulfill your obligation to the team and you don't want to let anybody down. But at the same time, you realize that this injury is serious and you're not getting the advice and the care and the treatment that you needed at that time. That's right. And, you know, I felt very safe in the doctor's office because the doctor was like, this is, this is bad. Your MRI is weird. Your skin on your foot is not healing. And I was like, I know it's bad. I know in my gut, I can't sleep because when my blankets rub on my foot, it hurts like hell. And I knew all this. And, you know, I was actually at that point, they had me start playing. They had me start at number three in the lineup. for my In January? And uh, yeah, end of January. Mm-hmm. As a freshman, when I was walking around campus with the boot, they had me start there and it, my foot was killing me the whole time. I played the whole season, singles and doubles, with my foot taped up so tight that afterwards it, it looked like it was, there were lines on it, it was bruised, it was red, it was like, this is torture. But no one was really standing up for me and no one would really listen to me after the match if if my coach was like how are you feeling I was like what am I supposed to say here do you want me to tell you that I'm about to die from pain if I would what you're not going to really do anything what are you going to do tell me to go see the trainer and the trainer's going to say 
you're good. That that was the cycle for yeah. my entire freshman season. And it was it was terrible. Um and how were you too. like feeling emotionally during that time? Because oh, I, I mean, I'm picturing in my head this 18-year-old kid who is across the country from her family in pain. The people who were supposed to be taking care of her and making sure she's okay aren't doing their job. And she's trying to please everybody and do what she committed to do. But at the same time, the injury is continuing to get worse. It was very confusing. Um, And one of the hardest things that I had that I started noticing was that my teammates didn't believe me because the trainer had me play. So they were like, well, if the trainer's having you play, then you're good. And I was like, no, guys, I'm in so much pain. And they didn't know whether I was just trying to get out of playing and get out of running or whether it was serious. So I was kind of started to, um, I was being alienated as this girl who's complaining or I wasn't, I didn't even complain. I just had to limp. I mean, how I couldn't walk. And then mm-hmm. I had to walk around with a boot and they were all kind of like, well, is she, is she being serious or not? Cause you know, the trainer says she's fine. Um, and then, you know, when I left to go, we moved, um, that, so I was in, my family was in California all my freshman year and they moved to Georgia the beginning of that summer. So I went straight from Virginia down to Georgia after my freshman year. And, you know, I was like, okay, I have to train this summer. I have to find new coaches here. I have to start over, find new cross training, a new coach, new girls to hit with. Um, and I did that. Uh, I managed the pain as best as I could because my orders from the trainer and from the doctor were to keep training this summer. Coaches said you need to play at least six tournaments. So I did that while all still in pain in a new environment, a new state. And then my last summer tournament, I was playing singles and my foot gave out on me during a match. I put pressure on it and it, it, it like all the muscles stopped working. It, it just didn't work. It was extremely scary. I was sitting down. I had to hop on one foot. I had to retire. Um, I had to crawl around the house. I had to crawl down the stairs. It was so severe. And I went back my sophomore year a month after that had happened. And I went straight to the doctor's office before classes started. And I said, this is what happened. I've been doing everything you guys told me to do. This taping this rehab, I've done absolutely everything. And the doctor finally, after a year of his injury said, we're taking you out of fall season. You're not going to play. You're not going to run. You're not going to travel. You're not going to do anything. And I said, thank God it's about freaking time. Yeah. It took me, it took my foot to just quit on me for them to say, okay, I guess you're, you're out now. And I didn't even go to the trainer first which I'm very happy about. I didn't talk to my coaches. I didn't go to the trainer. I walked straight into the doctor's office. And my mom advised me to do that. She's like, this is absolutely ridiculous now. Like you so, have to be. But the doctor didn't say that at all during your freshman year. He just. He didn't. Because he, they hadn't figured out what it was yet. So they thought maybe try. I tried all different types of rehab. Mm-hmm. So they thought, you know, with you know, maybe this type of rehab, it'll get better in about two weeks and she can start playing. 
So I tried a million different rehab techniques for the whole season. And he knew that I was the first recruit. He wanted the team to be successful. Um, he was very invested in that, but he also wanted me to feel good in my body and didn't want me to be in pain. And it was kind of this weird balance of I'd go in every week and say, he'd say, how are you feeling? I was like, it still hurts next week. It still hurts. He's like, okay, let's try this. Let's see if we can make this work. And then I went back for sophomore season uh, in the fall and he said, all right, this is ridiculous. You're, you're out, you're done. And I was like, I cried from happiness. I was like, thank you. Like, I don't know what else I can do here. Like y'all are going to have to cut off my foot. Like this mm. is, yeah. And so then what happens? So the doctor puts you on the, the disabled list, the DL and, and, yeah. and then how is that handled then by the tennis coach? Oh my gosh. So my fall season, sophomore year was very weird. Cause I had to go off campus to go to a, a different type of rehab. Um, a different PT person uh, it was specialized. She specialized in nerve damage. So I went there twice a week, but my coaches, um, they had me come to every practice, every lift, every running and sit there while everyone did everything. And then I had to go to two hours of rehab um, about two to three times a week off campus. So roughly four to six hours of my day was sitting around watching everyone play, picking up balls. Um, and no one, they didn't talk to me. The coaches didn't talk to me. Uh, the girls talked to me a little bit, but they were practicing, but I was basically there as a ball girl picking up balls. And then were you allowed to use, were you allowed to use that time to study? Nope. I could not study. I, couldn't have my phone out, obviously. Uh, I couldn't do it. I had to just be there as a part of the team. And, and it was extremely uh, stressful and emotional sure. for me. Were you living with any of your teammates your sophomore yeah, year? Yeah, I was living with two seniors. Mm-hmm. And so how was yeah. that? That was weird because we would all, you know, wake up early in the morning to go to, to running and I would go and they would complain about you know the running afterwards or that was so hard and I, I couldn't chime in I couldn't be a part of it but like when they would when we'd get back to the apartment they would talk about practice or and I would just sit there like yep I mean I wasn't a part of it I was sitting on the sidelines but it was very weird for me and then I had to go to my own rehab alone with no teammates around not on campus um it was a very hard semester. And then when they would leave on the weekends for fall season matches, I was left alone. You know, no one in the apartment. I, I was, I made a lot of friends with other people. I filled my life. Um, but I was, it was, I was very emotional. It was very weird because I was like, sure. I'm not on the, I'm on the team, but I'm not. And I'm being forced to go to absolutely everything. And I can't even study. I can't, I have to just sit here and watch. It was. And that was, that was because you were still an official member of the team, still receiving Mm -hmm. your scholarship money at that point. Right. Yeah. Yes, I was. Yeah. Okay. And so that was, I would guess the coach's justification for making you be there. You are officially part of the team. You're on the roster. You're on the website. You're receiving a full ride to 
to be part of this team and therefore you need to be at practices and show your support for your teammates. Yes. And they, they also said, you know, we had like little, you're, you're the captain or you're this, or you're the team, um, like the DJ and things like that. And they said, you're one of the, the leaders of this team. Like you, you bring the team up. Your presence is very powerful. And that's why they said a big thing, why they recruited me in the first place. You have a very powerful, positive presence on a team. And they said they want that. They needed that at their practices. They needed that type of person, that type of teammate. And I was like, okay, I don't want to let the team down because I'm that type of presence, but I'm also not even playing. I'm not even running. I'm not doing anything. So I'm here. For everybody else, and I, my, I just started to dwindle away emotionally. I was like, "This is torture." Mm-hmm. Four, four to five months of this is just torture. So and so, so yeah. that went on throughout the fall season. Mm-hmm. And so that you, went, yeah. So you went home for for winter break, I would assume. And yeah, then, so, then, then, what happened next? So they had me. I was still doing that rehab. They had they scheduled a foot appointment with um, a foot specialist in Atlanta over Thanksgiving break and over winter break, two different people. And they were going to say, they said, let's see what these guys say about your foot, see what we can do about your sophomore spring season, the big season. Um, And I was like, okay, we went to these appointments and I brought back all the notes, the discs, the everything that they would need to see. And every, the both doctors here said, the only way we're going to figure out what's wrong with her foot because there's something seriously wrong with it is if we do uh, a very invasive surgery and that's going to mean she's out for a year. She can't walk. She wouldn't be able to do anything. Uh, I went to UVA during the sophomore fall season at the end of it to do a bunch of weird nerve tests. I did every test possible, super painful tests. And every doctor said, um, there's multiple things going on with her foot. She has permanent nerve damage. She tore something. She has arthritis. She's got all these things. It's going to take a couple surgeries and a lot of time off to get her back. And it might not even work. She might just be in worse condition than before. So that was the consensus when we had the big um, coach trainer doctor meeting when I got back to school in January of my sophomore year. And all of these and, appointments and, and tests and all of that was arranged by the school, by the university. Yes. JNU Athletics arranged it all. Yeah. They, they okay. paid for it. Um, okay. Yeah. They, that was a good thing. Every avenue that one could possibly take to figure out what was going on, they did take it. Um, I went to so many doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it was, it was a lot. Um, and then in January, what it came down to was, all right, coaches, trainers, the doctor said, you know, these are the hard facts. And Bella's been trying for a year and a half to get better. We've tried every possible rehab route here. And we've seen, we have the top foot specialist in the country telling us that she is in severe pain and she might not even get better with whatever, um, you know, suggestion they would make. And it kind of came down to, it was up to me at this point. Do you want to keep trying this? Do you want to try more rehab? Do you want to get surgery or do you want to medically DQ? And that talk happened uh, mid January, end of January. Um, 
and they said, you know, let us know if you want to play for this season. That was the first thing I had to decide. Can I play? Can I start training again for fall season? And I said, no, I can't do that. Because at this point, I was in a boot and I was on a scooter. I had a oh handicap gosh. pass in my car so I could park in any handicap spot I needed to because I actually couldn't put any weight on my foot at this point. Um, it was it was that bad. Uh, and I said, no, I cannot play for fall season, but I need to seriously think about this med- medically DQing. I can't make this answer and give you Wait, an answer. Wait, fall season or spring season? Sorry, sorry, fall or spring season. Spring, spring season, season, sophomore yeah. year. Okay, yes. I just want to make sure yeah. that's okay. That's yeah. where I thought we were. Okay. Yeah. So you had to make a decision if you were going to pull yourself off the team. Yeah, for the spring season. Um, right. And I, I was able to answer that like on the dot, on the mm-hmm. spot. I said, no, I'm not playing. There's no way in hell I can start training right now. I, I can barely walk to the bathroom. And what did that mean in terms of your scholarship? Um, I still have my scholarship. That would mean, you know, I was just redshirting okay. for my spring season of my sophomore year. I was so you, so you wouldn't lose that semester of eligibility. You would still have. No. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. So it was, that's, you know, it was that decision. And then the big, the thing that nobody said, but everybody knew was it's more likely going to be a medical DQ because the chances of her foot even getting better to play tennis at this level are so, so low. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of soul searching. I talked to my mom. I talked to some friends. And over the course of about two to three weeks, um, I went in. I called an appointment with uh, – the first thing I did was call an appointment with the doctor. And I went in, and I just started crying. And I said, I can't, I can't do it. Like, I, I want to be able to walk when I'm 30. Just normally walk. And he said, I, I think that's the best decision for you. The, the path that you're on now, if you keep playing tennis, you will not be able to walk without severe pain when you're 30. And I said, it's just not worth it. Right. I just, this is just isn't worth it. So I, um, I had my coaches come into that appointment at the end of it. And I told them, and they were, they were upset um, on my behalf because they knew it was really hard for me. They were sensitive about it. They were nice. Um. And then I told my team about the next day, I wrote a letter that I read to them and to the coaches in the locker room, just to tell them like, this is what's going on. This is the decision I've made. And it was very hard. I was crying a lot. It was very difficult. Um, and they, they were sweet. A lot of them cried. They were very understanding. Um, they, they, up until that point, they had had no idea what I was going through. Nobody told them. They had no idea that it was this severe. Mm-hmm. One of them was like, wait, it's that bad? And I was like, yeah, guys, it's been this bad for a year and a half. And they just didn't know. And it's, it's weird because you think your teammates would know right. how much you're going through. But there's so much in their own world. They have their own shit going on. You know, what their stress that's practiced mm-hmm. for them, their own issues. Um, so it was very difficult. Um, and that was around you know, February, March, that I announced that I was medically DQing. Um, so what that would mean for my scholarship would mean I was, I had to now work for the JMU athletics department 
in one of the areas to still earn my scholarship. So I was not an active athlete. I was, you know, I, I got put in the marketing department. So I was intern for the marketing department. Um, so that's what I started doing then. And so um, that enabled you to keep your scholarship. Yeah. So around March is when it all, all the paperwork went through. And then in April, before finals, I got a severe concussion. I just slipped. I don't remember any of it. I slipped and I cracked my head, uh, apparently on a table and I got a severe concussion and I had to go to the hospital. Um, and I went to the doctor. I had a friend drive me to the doctor two days later and he said, you need to be on bed rest for months. You're not staying at school. You're not doing finals. You're not finishing your classes. This is the most, this is the worst concussion I've seen over all of our football players. It was just an extremely unlucky situation. It was a series of unfortunate events that semester. Wow. Um, yeah. So I went, I came home in April, finished my classes online that summer. And then I went back to campus for my junior year as a retired athlete who was still on scholarship because I was working for the JMU marketing department. And um, so, and that's how you completed your four years there. I actually didn't complete my four years there. No. So about two months into my junior year, uh, that fall season, or not, it wasn't a season that fall semester. Um, I had had some really dark shit from my past in high school, not anything to do with tennis, just personal stuff. Very, a very traumatic event, um, kind of resurfaced in my mind and in my emotions. And I, I snapped. I think it was, you know, the combination of medically DQing, the concussion, and then having this, this traumatic event resurface. Um, that semester, I actually, you know, I, I ended up in, you know, the hospital because I was not doing mentally well at all. My therapist drove me to the hospital. My mom came up and said, you're coming home. Like, you're not, you cannot be in a college environment. You need to, everything that's happened this year, you have to be at home to recover. And I was like, you're right. I've been pushing it too hard. So I came home. I trans. I took a, the spring semester off. Um, I just stayed at home. I recovered from everything that had happened that past year. And then I went back for the next fall semester. So I came back a year later to JMU as, you know, they still allowed me to have my, um, my scholarship because they, they, I told them everything that had happened in my past. Um, and it was enough for them to say, okay, you can have your scholarship when you come back. You'll still have to work for the marketing department but this is absolutely a reason for you to take a semester off. Mm-hmm. So the, the athletics department and they, they handled that situation beautifully, just beautifully. Um, Cause of everything that had happened to me at JNU that year and everything that they found out about my past, they said, you know, we love you. We love you on campus. We love you as a person. We want you to get better. And you have a, the door is open for you to come back and have your scholarship if you choose to do that. So they that's, handled that amazingly. Yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah, they really did. Um, so I went back for the fall semester and I was there, you know, I had been gone for about like nine months, not on a college campus, doing my own thing. I got a job. I was feeling better. 
I got into a relationship and um, I went back to campus and I said, I have outgrown this. You know, I love JMU. I love the people here, but I have just outgrown this college environment. And I tried to make it work for about two months, but I was like, this is, I've, I've outgrown everything here. I feel so much different than I had the past year because so much had changed in me and in my life. And I actually transferred back home and I'm now currently still finishing my degree online. Um, so it was, yeah, <laughs> it's confusing. It's a whirlwind. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. and, and this all has a very happy ending lest people think, Oh my God, this poor girl, um, which <laughs> I mean, you went through a hellish period but now you've found something you really enjoy doing. So why don't you tell us about that? Yes. Yeah, so about, I want to say it's September. So around March time this year, um, I was doing school online and I was like, what do I really want to do with my future? Um, and I realized I still had that same passion for fitness. Um, so I got my uh, NASM personal training certification. So I studied for that while I was taking online classes, I did both of those things. and I got my cert this past summer. So now I'm uh, a sports specific and a regular personal training uh, trainer at a gym near Atlanta. And one of the things that I specify in is tennis players, because I have that background. Um, And, you know, after taking having two years of healing, I feel like I can be in that tennis world and it doesn't, it's not a wound anymore. It's, mm-hmm. it's exciting for me because I have so much experience and I do still love the sport very much. You know, the sport didn't, you know, you know, it, like cause me this much pain. It was the circumstances. The sport shaped me into an amazing person and it gave me some of the best experiences I've ever had. So that's why it's just so exciting to be now kind of on the other side. I'm the trainer now. I'm taking care of people. I'm helping people get um, healthier. And I think I have a really unique background with that because I dealt with so much. So, um, no, I'm definitely, I went through a really, really dark period, but I came out of it much better. uh, So stronger. Yeah. So if you could talk to your 18 year old self now and help her get through that rough period of dealing with the injury and, and, you know, having the trainer not doing her job properly. What advice would you give her? Because I, I'm just thinking as a parent listening to this, you know, it's, it's terrifying to think that you're sending your child off to college and trusting them in the care of a coach, a trainer, an athletic director, and the possibility that those people may not do their job is right. frightening. And so again, as as a 22-year-old, what would you tell your 18-year-old self about how to manage that situation maybe differently or maybe maybe there's nothing different you could have done? You know, I I I used to think about that a lot, like how could I have handled this differently? What could I have done or what could I have said to stand up for myself more? And I I honestly don't think I could have done anything differently. Um, if if anything, it would have been talking more more with the athletic doctor 
um, and saying like, okay, where is my future with this? Because what if this doesn't get better? I didn't ask the big questions. It was very, we almost took it week by week. And I wish I had taken a step back and really gotten perspective on, you know, my, what my college career would end up looking like, what my life would end up looking like. Um, and I was very, I was so gung-ho on playing. I was like, I want to play. I want to play. Uh, I've wanted this for, for 10 years now. I want to play on a team, on a D1 team. I want to do it. And I was so, my head was so down with that. I think if I could go back, I would take a step back and get perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that would have changed how it all went down because I wasn't in control. Unfortunately, I couldn't, you know, say, all right, I'm going to medically DQ now. It, that wasn't my decision, but I would have personally, I think felt differently about the whole situation. Um, I would have maybe had the big talks earlier mm-hmm. because I would have gotten greater perspective. You know, you, you go in as a freshman and you want to, you just want to play. You and you want to please, you want to please yeah. your coach. Yeah. Yep. You want to be a good teammate. You want to be independent. You don't want to call your parents for any help. You want to be like, I'm here, I'm doing this, you know, and you almost, you do it. I did it too much. Mm-hmm. And, and it's unfortunate that that happened, but I don't see it, how it could have happened any other way. Um, and that's and from your, about it. from your parents' side, I mean, what, in retrospect, what are they saying about how everything happened? You know, do they feel oh, Go they ahead. thought that they were lied to, that they weren't told the honest truth from the coaches and from the trainer about what was really going on with her injury? Um, you know, because I told them, you know, I'm still in pain. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I just practiced, but my foot hurts still. And they're like, okay, well, what's happened? Like they, it was, they were very in the dark the whole time. Um, and like I said, when they tried to ask questions or email the coaches, they would get just the, the textbook answers, like still doing rehab, we will figure it out, something like that. And it was like, mm-hmm. well, what does that mean though? Like, is my daughter going to be able to walk in 10 years? Like what's going on? Um, and it was hard for me. Cause I didn't know. I was like, who, who do, who am I, do I need to be loyal to the team, to the coaches, to my parents or to myself? Who am I being loyal to right now? It was, I was torn in so many different directions. And eventually, you know, I chose, I'm going to be loyal to myself because this is my body. It, it, it eventually came down to that. It's not about playing. It's not about pleasing the coaches. It's about the fact that this is my own damn body and I'm going to have it for the next 80 years. What do I want to do with it? It took me two years to realize that, but eventually I did. Um, and I think, I, I don't think I could have learned that lesson any other way than unfortunately going through all that shit. I couldn't have made that decision or had that understanding as a freshman. I just couldn't, I had to go through all the ugly stuff to finally see, okay, this is what's up. This is the decision I need to make. Um, yeah. And it was, don't get me wrong. It was very hard. I, I, it took me a year and a half to find my identity after that, you know, mm-hmm. cause you're not an athlete anymore. But, um, I look back on it now and it was the best decision I ever could have made. 
And we uh, haven't even really touched on that and and we have gone over an hour. So <laughs> we're yeah. gonna have to we're gonna have to do a follow-up conversation about yeah. <laughs> what it means to come to grips with I'm not a college athlete anymore. I'm not a competitive athlete anymore. What's next for me? But that that's a conversation for another day. But how's your foot doing now? I, I, I don't want to leave foot. everybody hanging. Yeah. <laughs> no, my foot's great. So when I, um, you know, when I recovered from the concussion, um, I started basically running my own, how I did my own fitness, lifting. I did not run. I still don't run. Um, but I did a lot of, um, like calf work, a lot of stretching. I just played and toyed around and took it really easy on myself for about a year. And I do take a um, uh, Chinese herb um, that helps with nerve damage, like specifically for that. I've taken that for the past uh, three years. I take it every day. And that's huge. So I still, if I don't take that pill once a day, my foot kills me. Okay. So it's something that I I will have to live with for the rest of my life, but I can lift, I can hike, I can do everything that I wanted to be able to do. Um, and it's kind of one of those things, like if my foot hurts, I don't notice it as much as I used to, um, cause it's bearable. Um, but you know, if I run two days in a row, three days in a row, it hurts a lot. Um, so I just have to balance my life around that. And that's something I've accepted. Um, and was the so. injury ever pinpointed? Did they ever say what happened specifically? So I forget what the ligament was. So the popping that, that I felt originally was a torn ligament and they didn't identify it properly. So the training on it, I guess, made some um, inflammation and arthritis and the joint got all unstable. And then I got the injection, the botched injection, mm-hmm. which caused nerve damage, which made everything, all those other, the pains made everything else 10 times worse. Right. Um, so it was, it was a combination of a lot of unlucky things in a very small centered part of my foot. Um, so, and it's unfortunately, you know, your foot, you, you walk on it constantly. It's not like you can really rest that. Right. So, right. Yeah. Well, Bella, it's quite a story, and I'm really <laughs> yeah. feel honored that you wanted to share it with us. And I know this has been a crazy four-year journey for you, but it sounds like you've found your light again and found your passion, and you know that you're off to a great start with your personal training career. And I, I mean, I, you know, you're you're a joy to talk to and I feel like you've got your head on so straight and I just thank you for sharing all of this with us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's, I think it's good to hear, you know, the crazy shit that happens in people's lives. No one really talks about it. No one knows the, the dark truth about stuff. So I'm happy to share that. It's took me a while. I think, you know, you and my mom talked about me speaking with you, but I wasn't emotionally stable enough to at that time. But no, I'm very happy I was able to do this now and share it. And if I can help anyone, you know, with my story or, you know, anything like that, that would, that would be great. Because if I had heard a story like this, you know, it would have given me perspective. I still would have played college tennis, but I would have gone in with my eyes open. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for for talking with us. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces.
All right. Thank you. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out ParentingAces.com.